Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now, here's the show. From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And for the month of November, we are excited to be highlighting the films from the New Orleans Film Festival. And I'm thrilled to be joined by our guests today, Maya Leko and Christopher King. They are the co-directors of what I think is one of the best films of the year, The Letter. Maya and Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us, Nicholas. That was an amazing introduction, too. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, really appreciate you having us. I really mean it. You're joining us from across the world here. This is one of the perks of doing this show remotely, is we get to talk to filmmakers from all over the world. So this is very exciting. Amazing. Yeah, we're calling in from Nairobi, Kenya. I think it's 8 8 p.m. here and 9 a.m. in L.A. Right. (laughs) Yeah, other ends. (laughs) Absolutely. It's beautiful. So... Before we dive into it, tell the audience about your film, The Letter. So uh, The Letter was filmed over six years um, by Chris and myself, a husband and wife, co-directing, as you mentioned, co-producing team. And The Letter really started off with the story of a female freedom fighter who fought against the British. And so we went on this mission because there wasn't much written about this freedom fighter. And we went on a mission to the coast of Kenya, where my family's from, my father's side of the family's from, trying to find more about this lady. And as we were doing a lot of interviews with a lot of elderly, they were like, yes, we can tell her story, but currently we're having this issue where a lot of elders are being accused of witchcraft and essentially being shunned out of their families or being killed. And so our story then veered after two years of collecting a lot of interviews and really like following this freedom fighters story. Our story then veered to just following a single family, which is what you see in the letter today, Carissa and his grandmother and his 95-year-old grandma is f- with a fearless spirit has been accused of practicing witchcraft by her stepson. And it's her, it's her daughter's who are really the ones who are protecting her. And that for us was also very important because usually here it's a very patriarchal system. So so having these two women who are protecting the grandmother for us was a unique story. And also because it was across the road from where my family's from, it was also deeply personal to us. Yeah, and I mean, it's really heavy (laughs) to watch and heartbreaking to see this grandma be accused of this stuff by her own family. And you could see the pain, you know, that she's in you know, after raising this family and doing everything and working all her life for this land and them accusing her of witchcraft for, I'm just going to say it for reasons of what appear to be greed, you know, like they, they, it seems like they're wanting to to just take her land. It was a difficult to watch, but I think it's a very, very necessary watch. How did you come upon Carissa with like the proposition of following him and his family? Were they originally open to the idea or were they 
a little reluctant at first to have you guys following them around and documenting their life. It was quite a process. We'd, uh, as, as my mission, we kind of spent two years filming up and down the coast, the oral history. And, and we met Carissa actually back in Nairobi. Uh, he was living in the city at that time. And, and a lot of these interviews we'd done with elders, a lot of them speak the, the local language of the area, which is, which is Giriyama, which is similar to Swahili, which, which we both speak, but a little bit different. So we're trying to find someone who knew this language in Nairobi and who had computer skills and could help us translate and transcribe a lot of this stuff. So we got put in touch with this uh, young guy. He was a musician living in Nairobi from that area. He came around to our place and started listening to these interviews and was like shocked that a lot of these elders were telling stories about, you know, surviving attack from machete or, or being run out by their families. And he'd literally like a couple of weeks earlier read this Facebook post by one of his cousins kind of talking about there being a witch back home, that there's this old elder who's killing our children. And he was quite confused by it. And then seeing that this was happening to other families was kind of surprising for him. And it took a little bit of back and forth. And eventually we, we all jumped on a bus together, traveled halfway across the country, around back to meet his grandma, who was like incredibly welcoming and lovely. And actually it took about a year. We'd go visit, there'd be a long time we wouldn't even bring the camera out. I think it took a while, first them getting to know us and us getting to know them. But then even after we we filmed, we'd we'd go back with kind of assembled scenes and kind of show them parts of the film. And that was kind of a really interesting process. Mm. It was never simple. And the film still hasn't been released here in Kenya. We were meant to release earlier in the year, but because of COVID, it put a spanner in those works. But we've done a lot of kind of private focus group screenings in the area. The families um, kind of really come on side. I think the pacing of your film is, is just masterful. You guys start very micro- focusing on one particular family. And the more the film moves along, little by little, we learn more about the village, the culture, the community, how it's been disrupted by this colonialism and, and greed, as I mentioned. It becomes macro. And then when the film was over, I was thinking to myself, I was like, my God, this maybe is more of an allegory for the world. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. it, it felt maybe it's not just Africa or Kenya. Like this is what we do all over the world. We let greed you know, rip apart our communities and we push aside our elders and dismiss them for stuff that is less important than family. Yeah, no, completely. And I think for us, that was it. It's like, how can we kind of essentially tap into this this very intimate portrait of a family that that grandma could be anyone's grandma anywhere in the world? Mm-hmm. And how can people relate to that? And as you say, like, I remember we were in New York for something uh, I can't even remember. It was a film festival, something last year, end of last year. And even in the subways, you know, they had these things of respect your elders. And I mean, of course, like it's slightly different in terms of what happens, mm-hmm. but essentially it's all the same. Like you do have a lot of disrespect towards elders these days, as opposed to what was there before. And it's all about, you know, capitalism and inheritance and greed and family issues and jealousies. So I think that is definitely worldwide. And, and I guess yeah. also this idea, this capitalistic idea that elder, like once once you stop being productive, like materialistically to society, your like value diminishes, yeah. which is 
the exact opposite of, I guess, like your your kind of African family dynamic where actually the elder is the most revered. Yeah. So being able to see that like still in place, but also that 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 changing rapidly was, I guess, yeah, really alarming to us. And, and I think just, yeah, a, a call out, hopefully. I know in Australia, where I'm from originally, the way elderly people are mostly put in kind of elderly homes and, 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 and the way we treat elders, I think, is kind of on on a similar level, not, not as extreme as what we see in the film, but, but still just as disturbing. Yeah. Were these themes clear to you once you decided to shift gears and follow Carissa and his grandmother? Were those... Were these themes there or did they kind of start to reveal themselves to you, you know, the more you went along and like while you were in the editing room? I think we had quite a mind like mm. at the beginning and mm. and talking, like you said, it was it was really interesting to hear you kind of talk about this, that kind of starting off with such a personal story. Mm. I guess like a lot of our, our beginning two years, the ideas we we're looking at in the interviews, we we're looking at making a very kind of political film a bit more kind of esoteric and I know we we kind of struggled with that and this freedom fighter was really this story was about the way that the kind of cultural kind of holocaust that happened during colonialism and and the whitewashing done under the missionaries and a lot of these kind of intense themes you know that we were interviewing people about and, and and trying to uncover and understand we kind of put all of that aside and decided to just let this personal story come out and the political being just kind of inherent in in that footage and not necessarily like directly addressed. But we feel that it kind of ran underneath as like this undercurrent of everything. And that was, yeah, definitely deliberate. Mm. Yeah, well, you pull it off very well. <laughs> Thanks. Throughout the film, I was just completely blown away by the score. And I was like, God, this music is just so beautiful. And then the credits roll and I see... It was you, Maya, who did the score. So it's just so beautiful. Congrats on that. Thank you. Talk to us about creating the soundtrack and working with Ken, you're the person you did the composition with. with. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, okay, it's first time making a film for myself and mm-hmm. for Chris. And it's also first time essentially composing a score for a film. And at the beginning of the process between Ricardo Acosta, our amazing editor, and Chris, they actually were saying, you know, I think you should try and, and, and compose a score. And, and for me, I was actually, I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to kind of muddy the... Just a little bit of background, because okay, I guess Ma- Maya's been a professional musician here in Kenya for about 10 years. And, and yes, um, we should mention that <laughs> <laughs> i'm one of the manager marketing side of the music side of the business so, uh just to just to give a small plug like maya and her band maya and the big sky they're called they kind of tour internationally and i guess maya is renowned back here in kenya as a live musician more than she's known as a filmmaker mm-hmm. so just to add yeah that. Oh, thanks, thanks. So no, so so when Chris and Ricardo mentioned it, I was against it actually for the first for the first bit. And then we were we were editing outside of Nairobi City and I was just sitting there with a recorder and I'd already like through these years of being along the coast, which is also my culture, my my background, but because I was born in the city, I really was disconnected in terms of a lot of the cultural things. And mm. like for example, like um, you know, learning like a lot of these like folk songs and and rhythms um, had been amazing throughout. So then as I sat there whilst Chris and, and Ricardo were editing and I just started like humming one of the nursery rhymes that, that I had been taught. And then I showed them and I was like, oh, what do you guys think? And then from there anyway, then it, then it all began and the inspiration came and it was something that then um, was really interesting because it was kind of like a spiritual guardian, I suppose you could say, not something too cliche, for grandma and the other elders. Right. And, you know, finding that balance where as a singer songwriter, you don't want to put too much of yourself into the mix at the same time. How do you find that balance where, you know, it is instrumental, it is emotional and it brings something extra. 
And then working with Ken, because as I said, this was being the first time me doing this, Ricardo, our editor, put us in touch with Ken Mir, who's based in Toronto, and he's done this for many years. And it was amazing also just working with somebody who had all this experience and all this knowledge as to how, you know, scores work and where you should come in with things. So I essentially would then, you know, compose a lot of things on the guitar and vocals and then send him the track. And then once or twice we met up in Toronto. So it worked great. Um, And I'm excited to actually do this more, you know, experiment with score composition. Absolutely. I mean, you just, you knocked it out of the park. So, so please do. And when, (laughs) and when, and when you do let us know so that way we can, we can check it out. It's amazing. I also want to say, just correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the soundtrack for the film is available on like iTunes and Spotify, correct? It is. It's available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Apple Music uh, Bandcamp. Bandcamp. Yeah, on the on the letter website, the dash letter dot org. There's a whole page um, for the soundtrack. So um, yeah, depending on where everyone streams from, it should be on most platforms. Yeah. Great, excellent. Definitely, everybody at home, check that out. It's a fantastic listen. What do you hope? You filmed in Kenya. You've been screening all over the world. You're about to screen in New Orleans. We've talked kind of about the film working thematically on a small and big level. What do you hope audiences take away from your film? I think it's just reconnecting with or just remembering or reconnecting with one's elders. I think that's really important. And Mm. I think that a lot of people who watch it do then say, you know, I really thought about my mom or I thought about my grandma or I need to try and reconnect with, you know, whoever. Um, So I think I think that is I think that's the number one takeaway. I think just respect, respect your elders, really. Yeah. And I guess just the importance of family, um, I think, uh, like on on a general sense and and even especially now when a lot of us are kind of disconnected and even our own personal search for trying to get to the root of like what's important and what what are we building. And it's hard to think on an intellectual level, like anything we want people to, to think. But I guess just that feeling of togetherness is what we're really trying to explore. It's a beautiful film, my friends. Congratulations. I'm so happy to have you guys on. I am thrilled. To, I, I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, I just, I really, really, really loved it. I can't say enough positive things about it. And I could talk about it for another 30 minutes, but I don't want to do any spoilers. So I will, <laughs> I will refrain. My friends at home, check out the letter. It's going to be at the New Orleans Film Festival, which is running November 6th through the 22nd. You're not going to want to miss it. And you can check out the-letter.org to stay up to date with the film. You can also follow us at LA Diversity Film Fest on Instagram. We'll be continuing to plug the film as well. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Maya and Chris are going to help us out with our favorite segment, Gimme Three. We'd like to take a minute and give a very special thanks to our new sponsor, E-Minutes. E-Minutes is a company of entertainment lawyers who are dedicated to giving a platform to underrepresented voices by helping filmmakers form companies and other necessary legal entities. They're sponsoring a new award with LADFF called the Emerging Filmmaker Award and giving their services for free to the lucky winners. You can find out more about them by going to LADFF.com and clicking on the E-Minutes link. All right, we are back on Film Forward. I'm with Maya Leko and Chris King. They are the directors of the incredible documentary, The Letter. They're about to give us three films that have inspired them, inspired their work. My friends, let's get your first one. 
So I think the first one would be Salam Cinema. By Mohsen McMulbuff, a little bit of Iranian docu-fiction hybrid worship to cinema. I think we must have watched this like about 10 years ago and it's really something we keep, we really keep st- coming back to. Yeah, stuck with us. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Was this the first time you were watching it? It was my first time watching it. I watched it last night, actually, and I did not know for the first 20 minutes, I didn't know if I was watching a documentary or or something scripted, but it was just mesmerizing. You can't take your eyes off of it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And just the simplicity, but yet the complexity. And also, as you say, that feeling of, you know, continuously like questioning yourself, is this a doc? Is it a Mm. feature, a fiction? And I think just seeing, just just seeing like the art form, I guess, of the interview at work, the art form of the, like the Mm -hmm. craft, like the craft of the director. I don't know if it's worth explaining it all, like what the premise of it is, but I guess yeah, like, yeah. Let's do it. McMulbuff is is basically holding a set of auditions for a film in a town somewhere in Iran. I'm not sure if it's in Tehran or, or where it is, but there are like thousands of people like trying to get into this building to get an audition. Get a spot. And the film is basically a selection of these auditions that of different people, like this cross section of the community coming in, um, wanting to be in this film that I guess never gets made, <laughs> and just seeing the way that he he brings these stories out of people like it's completely real and mm. present and yeah and and, comical and kind of sad sometimes yeah yeah just, like the ups and downs in in these single stories are just yeah mind-blowing yeah it's i mean it's just like you said it's funny sad beautiful and but you just see you know everybody says i'm doing this because i love cinema i'm doing this mm. because i love cinema so you get to see everybody that comes through that door their own personal love letters to cinema so it's yeah. just it's breathtaking you know every once in a while you come across a movie that makes you fall back in love with movies totally. yeah. and yeah and they're few and far between but this one did it for me last night i was awesome I, <laughs> when it finished i was i was in tears i was like unbelievable uh, this film oh Amazing. brilliant well, you must get to watch some really amazing films with all these recommendations of things that you may know, may not know. That's why I do it. Is like yeah. sometimes it's like movies I have not heard of, you know, or sometimes it's movies I have seen, but I haven't seen in 10 or 15 years. So, you know, it's good for me. And then hopefully, you know, our audience can also expand their watch list as well. Awesome. Brilliant. Salam Cinema. Check it out, everybody. I rented it on Vimeo for $3 and it's well, well worth the price of admission. Amen. Okay. Your second one, my friends. Second one. Second one. We would say what we go to Agnes Varda, the Gleaners and I, that was definitely a big thing for us. Mm-hmm. We've, we've come back to that a couple of times. Agnes Varda is just like, I mean, I really love the whole left bank movement from, I guess, what is it? The French new wave, the kind of doc side of it. Like mm-hmm. Chris Marker was huge for me, definitely. But, but Agnes, I don't know. There's just something about her, I don't know, like her curiosity, uh, her, awkwardness. Her, her awkwardness, I don't know, but like bubbly and, yeah. and just like these these characters she she tracks down and follows, I guess all based on this idea of there being a kind of pre-industrial culture of, of gleaning in which like rural people in which France would be allowed, like after the fields are plowed, you know, peasants would be allowed to go through the fields and anything that wasn't collected, it was basically free game. And so she looks at how this practice is was kind of outlawed and I guess the politics around food and then in the kind of urban, modern context, how, how gleaning is still 
It's still a thing. Still happening. You know, people going through the markets mm-hmm. in Paris and finding perfectly good food, like yeah. being being thrown out. Um, and I and I think also like especially like today with so much food wastage, you know, just around the world, the Western world in particular, it's crazy and it's crazy to see how there is so much wastage and how you have people who are essentially finding all this very good food that's still edible, yeah. but due to kind of you know hygiene or you know safety issues, it's it's, it's a crazy concept. It is. And she tackles the issue from a whole bunch of different, you know, areas and levels. And, you know, she travels all over the country and all all over to show the different areas of this issue. One of the things I love about Agnes is she's got this subject that the, the film is about, gleaning. Mm-hmm. And she's interviewing all these different people and they're talking about gleaning. But then she'll just decide... I'm going to go on a tangent and like find out what this person's life is like. Let's just mm. find out this person's like story and their humanity. Mm. You know, you go on a five minute tangent, just like living this person's life for a while. And yeah. it feels completely natural and organic and it doesn't like slow down the film. It enhances the film, mm. but she does it so effortlessly totally. and it's just really, really, really admirable. And then as you mentioned, she does her, you know, crazy I'm going to watch a lens cap dance now. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, or just look at the wrinkles on my hands yeah, for a while. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sonia, my girlfriend, she's, mm. she loves Agnes. She's like, I love Agnes because she just, she finds the art in, in everything, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As I guess as a storyteller and something I guess we learned like through making the letter, you kind of, there's this, I don't know, there's this um, like metaphysical thing I think that can happen when you're behind a camera or you're in an interview. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you feel an emotion kind of while you're filming it, it kind of, I don't know, it's some, like it somehow like gets transmitted like through the footage or through the sound. And I don't know, watching all of her films, you just, yeah, you're, you're looking at the world through her eyes and feeling her sense of like wonder and, and awe and enthusiasm. And through these people, you get to see what she sees in them. That's yeah, really beautiful. Absolutely. The Gleaners and I, it is an incredible documentary as all of her films are. You can check it out. It is available on the Criterion channel now. If you guys at home are subscribers to that and you should be, The Gleaners and I, amazing pick. And now, my friends, your third and final. So third and final is called Shala by Osman Semben, who's a Senegalese veteran filmmaker. Father of African Father cinema. Father of African I cinema. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, he made a lot of films before he made this one and was very well revered and well known. I think also kind of like in the Western world and France in particular. And then he made Shala, you know, which touches on a lot of the quite humorously uh, touches on a lot of colonial issues and uh, and post-colonial uh, issues and how that relationship continued through from, you know, when Africans got their freedom and then how the Europeans were still involved throughout that process and also how the Africans themselves also became colonialists, you know, leading the country. Because I suppose that was their only teachings as to how essentially you should run a country. Not uh, the only right. teachings, no, but definitely no, the most predominant. Definitely the most predominant. So, so that was it. Was a pretty interesting story, and I think what's great with with Osman Semben is that he's really going between the traditional African, you know, of visiting the witch doctor if you're having issues with I don't know with whatever it is. That in this in this case, it was. Uh, Impotence. Impotence. For one of right. the <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and then kind of really crossing over to then 
how things are done. Yeah, just just blending this charisma that I guess in East End and Western Africa as well, just this this method of storytelling, seeing that kind of translated into into cinema. I guess in the mid seventies, we're always kind of referring back to his stuff uh, to give inspiration. Yeah. The documentary Semben Ricardo Acosta, who edited the letter, was the editor on that documentary that was directed by Jason Silverman, Jason Silverman who's also doing this Sim- Semben project, which is making his films available for free across Africa, which is uh, which That's is amazing. huge. I mean, because his 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 work is pretty much unknown mm. in in Eastern Africa, which is a shame. So, no, any chance we can to spread the Semben mm. uh, gospel. And can um, I also just add one more thing to that, which I think is also really relevant to us is that it's very common where you have, let's say like a staunch Christian, for example, or a staunch Muslim, um, you know, who kind of essentially, and this came up a lot in the letter who essentially is saying anything traditional is devil worship, la 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 la. Right. But then in times of desperation and in times of need, you also have a lot of people who then go back to traditional ways to fix certain things, you know, whether it be kind of funeral or whether it be a wedding uh, or whether it be now going to the witch doctor you know, so it's it's kind of playing, it's really playing on what was there before, colonialism, what came after, and how then Africans are dealing with it. It would make a great double feature with your film, The Letter, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. Shala, I think, I don't think this is available, unfortunately, for streaming anywhere in the United States. I had to order a VHS tape online. <laughs> wow. <And> that's, how, <laughs> that's how I watched it. Oh, oh cool. Gosh. You watched it on VHS? Yeah. <laughs> nice. For my listeners at home and in LA, if you would like to watch this film, and you should, just hit me up and I'll hook you up with uh, the VHS tape. Good one. These are an excellent three choices, my friends. I appreciate them. I, I want to thank you very much for showing me Salam Cinema. I was completely blown away. I think that's one of my new favorites. Awesome. awesome. And as I mentioned, the letter is one of my favorites of the year. I can't say enough positive things about it. I'm just excited to watch it again. But thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us. It's been absolutely amazing speaking to you, Nicholas. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, uh, it's sometimes hard because we're, we're here in uh, in Nairobi in lockdown and the film kind of like went out just as the pan or just before the pandemic hit. And um it, it, for for a couple of months there, we thought it was actually kind of dead in the water with festivals canceling and mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so, obviously, it'd be amazing to be to be over there seeing seeing the film in cinemas with everyone. But you know, now with this technology, us being able to be in Nairobi, you in LA, and us just to yeah. be able to. Screening at the New Orleans Film Festival. Yeah, and, and hear that the film is connecting with people. That yeah, it really means yeah. a lot to us. So totally. appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I hope we uh, will meet in person one day if you're in LA or we're in Nairobi sure. or somewhere oh, in the sure. middle. Welcome, welcome Please. anytime yeah. to Nairobi. Come to, come to Kenya. We will. We will. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Everybody at home, watch the letter. It's at the New Orleans Film Festival, which is running until November 22nd. You're not going to want to miss it. You can follow them again at the-letter.org. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.